This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, July 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village Housing Project moves forward, Town Council discusses Meadows development, Man's Best Friend dives into history, and a mountain weather forecast. Mountain Village is moving forward with its latest affordable housing development. The project will sit on lot 644 in the Meadows. The 1.4-acre lot was designated to be affordable housing when Mountain Village incorporated itself in the mid-90s. Last week, Mountain Village Town Council met with Triumph Development, a Colorado-based development company, for an update on how the project is going. About three weeks ago now, back on uh, June 20th, we held a neighborhood meeting on site. We invited, the council invited DRB and, and the neighborhood and had a, had a pretty good showing. We had individuals coming and going and asking questions and uh, bringing up concerns and, and just really getting involved with where we are with the overall scope and, and project in general. That's Mike Foster with Triumph Development. He says when it comes to concerns from neighbors regarding the project, the location of Jurassic Trail is top of the list. The current design has the trail on the southern edge of the project. There was privacy issues, there's grading issues, there's safety concerns. There's, there's a number of concerns about, you know, can this even physically be built right along that property line as it gets pretty darn steep. The further south you go or closer to Parker Ridge, that grade really starts to fall off pretty quickly. Foster notes he still doesn't have the perfect answer, but based on the discussion, they're planning on moving the trail. As we study this, it seems like the north side of, of the site is, is, is the way that we're leaning to put Jurassic Trail. Foster says there are also concerns about density. Based on discussion with the community, Foster says they're shifting their design. They're eliminating three units for a total of 13 condos and 17 apartments. He adds that will also allow for more community space. Which gets to the next point that we heard is, you know, in this community, what, where do we have an amenity space? You know, if, I, if I'm a family moving into it and I've got a three and a five-year-old and they want somewhere to go play, where's a spot on the site for them to go play? I think in the southeast corner, by preserving some of that space, we can... Uh, create maybe a little play area in there. I don't know if it's a little playground or a little tree, you know, a little path area, an amenity on, on the property for not only the residents of, of Lot 644, but I could see Parker Ridge using this. I could see, you know, the outlaws. I, I could see a lot of different neighboring community, you know, members coming over and, you know, taking advantage of this amenity. As well. Of course, there are still elements to determine. How can the project be as net zero as possible? What will snow removal look like? But Michael O'Connor, also with Triumph, says they're excited to get into the work. We've been doing a lot of thoughtful design and conversations, and hopefully with your blessing, it's time to start running and, and, and turning it into a reality and getting approval to do it. Town Council was overall supportive of how the design is going. Council member Marty Prohaska acknowledges the concerns from some residents, but adds her support for the project moving forward. You know, I think that we will still continue to hear that people don't want to see this many units in the meadows. Um, I live in the meadows. I've lived there as long as I've been a homeowner. I get it. It feels, 
you know, like there's a lot going on down there, but at the same time, I love that, you know, I could potentially have employees living just down the road. I could potentially have babysitters living just down the road. Um, and we're at a point where if we just keep tossing the, the ball, tossing, kicking the can down the road, you know, saying we can't, we should do this somewhere else. That's why we're in the position we're in is because everyone before us has said, let's not do this here. Triumph will continue on its designs for the development with a plan to go before Mountain Village's design review board next month. What should the Meadows neighborhood in Mountain Village look like in the future? That was the topic of discussion at a Mountain Village Town Council meeting last week. The conversation is part of the Meadows Sub-Area Plan, an element of Mountain Village's Comprehensive Plan, or Comp Plan, a guiding document for future development in the town. Mountain Village is currently in the process of amending its Comp Plan. Main concerns were about overcrowding, uh, infrastructure capacity in terms of parking and traffic, um, and then the existing light industrial uses that are in the Meadows. Um, priorities that we heard were, uh, as you know, about a second route in and out of the meadows, evacuation or uh, year-round publicly available road, um, open space preservation, these year-round gondola or chandala connections, um, public park spaces, preservation of the meadows neighborhood character that exists today, um, completing some sidewalk connections, and lastly, mitigating um, beaver damage to trees. That's Ellie Schaefer with MIG, a firm helping Mountain Village with the comp plan amendment. Those concerns are coming from members of the Meadows Resident Advisory Board, a group created to help provide input on the comp plan when it comes to the Meadows. Schaefer says the advisory board also has concerns when it comes to increasing density in general and the possibility of a daycare on the Meadows parking lot. In terms of density, MIG gathered feedback from the advisory group to create new target numbers for density on Meadows lots. On one parcel, Prospect Plaza, the advisory group recommended allowing 20 units. That's more than the amount platted now and less than the comp plan as it is currently proposed. Other lots stick at or close to the number of platted units. However, the largest discussion surrounded Big Billy's. The lot is platted for 150 units. The comp plan currently has it at 89. The advisory board upped the number to 162. But council has concerns when it comes to upkeep of the development. Here's Mayor Leila Benitez. Year over year, it has gone downhill more and more to the point where, you know, when we have our spring cleaning day, you can have 10 people just working on the outside of that area. The ice isn't even maintained during the winter. I have a hard time adding anything there unless there's some very clear language about how it would have to be completely re-renovated because it, you use the word blight and I think it's dead on. Benitez also highlights an issue with parking at the housing complex. When it comes to the possibility of a daycare, Schaefer notes it's far from a sure thing. I just want to emphasize this is just a concept of how this parcel might be used uh, in the future. It is publicly owned, the Meadows parking lot, and the previous, the currently adopted sub-area plan includes a concept to build um, mostly below-grade structured parking to expand parking capacity on this site. There would certainly need to be extra engagement when this comes closer to fruition. The plan does recommend that. Um, there also needs to be more 
engineering and design, of course, to fully understand the feasibility of a garage. Once again, there are some concerns. Mayor Benitez worries about traffic and parking, noting Mountain Village already has the one infant child care center in the area. If we have the second infant care and only infant care, you are going to have people coming in from surrounding communities and driving in. That is extra traffic. It's just something to consider. It's 100% I like true. kiddos. I'm totally, and I like them being cared for. Um, I just, that commercial piece really does bother me. But Councilmember Patrick Barry notes when it comes to the daycare or the density, the numbers aren't about today, but the future. We're not deciding about things for next week. We talked about, we're talking, we're, we're looking at things 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Limiting ourselves is, and capping while we can amend it, I appreciate that, but at the same time, you have to be visionary and accept that there is only a certain amount of, of space that's left to build. In the end, council directed Schaefer to keep the language, allowing for the possibility of a daycare facility, while adding flexible language to potentially allow for a different public amenity. Mountain Village has been working to amend its comprehensive plan for over a year. MIG will incorporate the feedback from the Meadows Resident Advisory Board into the comp plan draft. Town Council plans to adopt the final comp plan amendment later this year. On a hot and sunny Monday morning, Indy Cusack is sniffing at dolls and shoes and bags filled of treats. Indy is not a child, but the fur baby of Telluride local Rosie Cusack. They are at the Telluride Historical Museum's Dog Museum, full of photos and artifacts honoring the pups of the Box Canyon. We just realized that um, while we get a lot of great um, different folks who come to the museum, we we're missing an important demographic, which makes up a large portion of Telluride, which is our dog owners. Um, we don't allow dogs in the museum, unfortunately, because the dander and hair can affect the artifacts and displays. So we thought this would be a creative way to get people to um, have an opportunity to bring their dogs up to the museum and check it out. That's Mary Higgins, Director of Public Engagement at the museum. So the Dog Museum is an exhibit for owners and pets. Um, so we have some pretty cool um, historic photos of Telluride dog owners with their dogs that have been here since um, people started um, looking for gold up in these hills. And then there are some smelling stations that accompany and go along with those photos. So the doggies can be smelling the artifact that has something to do with the photo that the humans are reading about. Cusack's favorite photo refers back to Dog Court of the 1970s. According to the photo, dogs ran town so much, legal measures had to be taken to combat unrestrained dogs. Judge Tom Goldsmith oversaw the court, and owners were fined $25 to collect their impounded pup. Cusack discusses the photos just as some on-theme music blares through speakers. This is my favorite photo. I just took a photo of the photo. And then there's, there's history that not... Yes! Zudnik, the wonder dog. Oh, man, I used to see Zudnik and his amazing owner, Scott, all the time here in Telluride, jumping on chair eight or whatever all over the mountain. Very cool, and there he is. A great photo of him. This is very cool. Around the corner from the photos is an agility course and photo booth. And then as we know, the sluicing station is a popular event for kids. So we have a doggy sluice, which is our kiddie pool filled with some sluicing sand, water, and tennis balls. Telluride may technically be out of the dog days of summer, but that doesn't mean we're done celebrating the perfect pups.
The Telluride Historical Museum's Dog Museum opened on Monday, July 18th and will run through Saturday, July 23rd from 11.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. daily and until 7 p.m. on Thursday. The Dog Museum is free and open to all pup lovers. The freedom of speech is laid out in the U.S.'s Constitution, but how does that freedom actually play out in real life and in scientific research? That's the topic of conversation at this week's Town Talk, put on by the Telluride Science Research Center. The talk, Free Speech, the case for open intellectual discourse in science, will feature Anna Krylov, Luana Maroja, and Kurt Whitting, academics who have each made a name for themselves both in science and their thoughts on free speech in the scientific realm. The talk will be hosted by veteran journalists Judy Muller and George Lewis. The free speech talk will take place on Tuesday, July 19th at 6.30 p.m. at the Telluride Depot, 300 South Townsend. The event is free and open to the public. Republican Heidi Ganahl has picked a running mate in her campaign for governor. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, Ganahl's choice stoked controversy last year by questioning the results of the 2020 election. Danny Moore is a retired Navy veteran who briefly led a committee charged with redrawing Colorado's congressional districts. His fellow commissioners voted unanimously last year to remove him as chairman because of posts Moore made on Facebook. Moore falsely claimed Democrats had stolen the presidential election from Donald Trump. He also referred to COVID-19 as the, quote, Chinese virus. Ganahl says she picked more for lieutenant governor because he shares her vision of lowering the cost of living and making children a priority. They face incumbents Jared Polis and Diane Primavera in the November election. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The Supreme Court's overturning of the landmark Roe v. Wade case has removed federal protections for abortion access across the nation. As a result, states now have the power to limit and ban abortions, and many states have already begun to do so. Wyoming is one of 13 states to pass trigger laws, meaning most abortions will be illegal. In Utah, a judge has granted an injunction preventing the state's trigger law from taking effect. Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains is one of the biggest abortion providers in Colorado and also provides reproductive health care in New Mexico, southern Nevada, and Wyoming. Aspen Public Radio reporter Hallie Zander spoke with Adrian Mancenares, the executive director of Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains, to get a sense of how their work is changing. Zander spoke with Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett about what she learned. So how is Planned Parenthood responding to the Supreme Court's decision here in Colorado? Well, they're obviously disappointed, but Montanaris says they've been planning for this for seven years or more, long before Politico leaked Justice Alito's draft opinion a few months ago. They're expecting to have more people traveling to Colorado for a number of reasons. First, Colorado Governor Jared Polis signed the Reproductive Health Equity Act into law back in early April. So abortion is protected here for the foreseeable future. And Colorado's in a pretty central location in the West, so that makes it easier for people to get here. Montanaris says they're also preparing by beefing up telehealth services where people can call or video chat with clinicians from home. In Colorado, New Mexico, and southern Nevada, they're even able to prescribe the abortion pill this way. 
So does this mean that they're moving away from in-person services and clinics? Not at all. So they've actually been expanding their physical spaces in Glenwood Springs, Fort Collins, and Colorado Springs. They've had a hunch for a while that they might need to prepare for an influx of patients coming from states where abortion is banned or restricted. And they're already seeing a higher percentage of their patients traveling to Colorado from other states, from Kansas, Utah, Idaho, and Texas. Montanara says this ruling couldn't have come at a worse time. The cost of gas, the fact that they have to drive so long distances. There are more immigration stops on the south, you know, in in southern New Mexico than there have been in the past. So our health centers remain understaffed. There's a big delay in any kind of supplies that we may need if we need to order new equipment. And so that just slows things down and it creates a more frustrating working environment. So as Montanaris says, the lack of abortion care in some states really intersects with all of these other economic trends, making it exceptionally harder to receive abortion care and puts a lot of pressure on neighboring states to deliver those services. Is that influx of people going to impact patients in Colorado seeking abortion care? What can they expect? So far, Montanaris says the biggest change is likely increased wait times for appointments. Here's what she said about that. Unfortunately, there may be a bit of a wait. You may be used to walking into a health center and getting the care that day or the next day. We are scheduling patients out sometimes as long as two or three weeks. Despite the longer waits, people seeking abortions in Colorado can rest assured that their rights are protected at this time. There are reports that some conservative groups in the state have begun collecting signatures to change the law with ballot measures. But Montanaris says that it's unlikely abortion protections will be overturned in the state. The people, the residents, our communities in Colorado have made it overwhelmingly clear, frankly, since the mid-60s, that abortion care is health care. We have a very supportive state, and we always have. It becomes this political game, a complete waste of money, and a general suck of political will to begin to think that Colorado is going to turn their back on our patients. She really thinks those rights in Colorado are here to stay. So Wyoming is one of the four states Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains serves, and it has a trigger law that could soon ban abortions, right? Yeah, and that's really why the stakes are highest for people seeking abortions in Wyoming. The trigger law, House Bill 92, only allows exceptions for cases where the pregnancy impacts the health of the mother or the pregnancy was a result of rape or incest. So doctors and clinicians may have to stop conducting abortions sometime in July, But Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon still needs to sign it before it can go into effect. And that could happen any day now. Montanaris says that this law is a big blow to morale. I think it does very much alienate, disappoint, and anger a lot of people living in Wyoming that they don't feel represented by their state legislator by this trigger law. And wasn't it already hard to get an abortion in Wyoming? Yeah, it hasn't been easy. While they offer telehealth services, Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains doesn't actually have any in-person clinics in Wyoming. And certain restrictions there prevent clinicians from providing the abortion pill via telehealth. So as a result, Montanaris says the most common way to get an abortion within the state is from primary care doctors. She adds that those doctors don't often advertise that they perform this service, so it's difficult for people to know where to look. That's why a lot of people seeking abortion in Wyoming travel to Colorado already. Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains even has something called the Wyoming Abortion Fund, which can help people pay for abortion care if they have financial barriers. Okay, so what clinics are the busiest right now in our region, and are any at risk of closing? 
Monsonara says they're lucky and none of their health centers are at risk of closing at this point. She says the Front Range centers are pretty busy, especially the Park Hill Health Center in Denver. But she also said every clinic in Colorado is seeing people traveling from other states, even the small ones in Glenwood Springs and Salida. But Albuquerque, New Mexico, sees the most out-of-state patients of any other clinic. Right. So looking at the big picture, what does all this mean for abortion care in the West? Well, it's no surprise that more traveling will be involved for a lot of people, and certain populations are more likely to face barriers. Here's Montanaris again. Bans that go into effect in states and barriers to any kind of health care have a disproportionate impact on Black, Indigenous, people of color, people living in rural communities, people living on low incomes, and the impact becomes that much more devastating on communities when we have government policies that restrict care. There are funds set up to support these individuals, but it's yet another hoop to jump through when looking for care. Montanaris adds that through this whole process, she's had a complex range of emotions. I feel like the country is turning so many of us into second-class citizens without a federal protection to this liberty and this freedom. But she's also feeling hopeful. There's a lot of work to do, and she wants Colorado to be a beacon of hope for people traveling long distances. Thanks, Hallie. Thanks, Eleanor. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight, with partly cloudy skies and a low near 60 degrees. Tuesday, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is near 80 with a low around 60 degrees. Wednesday should be mostly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high near 80 degrees. Wednesday night calls for partly cloudy skies and a low in the mid-50s. This has been the news for Monday, July 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Join us on Wednesday and Thursday night as another spectacular two nights of sunsets light up the Wilson Range and music fills the air of the Sunset Plaza in Mountain Village. The Sunset Music Series, in its 22nd season, is one of the region's great summer traditions. On Wednesday, July 20th, the Sunset Music Series features the deer all the way from Austin, Texas. The deer's unique indie folk style of music blends aspects of stargaze surf music and psychedelic sounds. This style is all their own and is not to be missed. New to the series are select Thursdays, and on July 21st, we feature Barbaro. And that is bluegrass, which is a Telluride favorite style of music. The Minneapolis-based quartet are rising stars, and their bluegrass music blends with aspect jazz and chamber music. Attendance is free of charge. Dine-in and to-go meals are available for purchase from many Mountain Village restaurants. Alcoholic beverages purchased from Mountain Village restaurants can also be enjoyed in the new and expanded common consumption area. Shows begin at 6 p.m., on the lawn near Lift One in the Sunset Plaza of Mountain Village, and they are held rain or shine. Presented by TMVOA and supporting sponsors. Check the full lineup at sunsetmusicseries.com and connect with the Sunset Music Series on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.